Today's program has been brought to you by GreatBrewers.com, a social media marketing platform dedicated to promoting the world's great brewers and the beers they create. For more information, visit GreatBrewers.com. I'm Chris Kuzmi. And I'm Mary Izette. From The Man You're listening to Heritage Radio Network, broadcasting live from Bushwick, Brooklyn. If you like this program, visit HeritageRadioNetwork.org for thousands more. Hey, 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 this is Beer Sessions Radio on the Heritage Radio Network. This is Jimmy Carboni from Jimmy's Number 43 and the Good Beer Seal. We're in New York City doing a special pre-record that'll air around Christmas 2014. But we got the guy here, Charlie Papazian, the godfather of craft beer in America. And uh, thanks to uh, John from Bitter and Esther's, um, he's on the show tonight. So, John, tell us a little bit about why Charlie's in town and, and some of the things that you, you've been doing with him uh, sure. at your store. So, hi, Jimmy. Thanks for having me on. Uh, Charlie's in town because he has two new, book, uh, two new revisions of his book. Uh, uh, he has The Complete Joy of Homebrew, which is the fourth uh, edition, and he has Homebrew as a Companion, which is the second edition. So he, uh, he has those coming out, and uh, our friend Aisha at the New York Public Library actually got in touch with us saying, Hey, John, uh, Charlie wants to do a signing. Would you like to have him? And I, I thought for about a nanosecond and said, Of course, uh, this would be awesome. So uh, Charlie's... Well, since this is in the future, uh, Charlie was at the store and uh, did a signing, <laughs> and it went really swimmingly well. Thousands of people showed up. It was really great. All right. So we had a lot of fun. So, Charlie, so I would like to talk to you about how you got started, because there's, there's guys in the room, including Nazari from Lower East Craft, who was born after you started all these things and didn't even know about you. And that's going to be one of our themes of the show is, you know, all the young guns and craft beer. Who is Charlie Papazian? So um, tell us about the revised book that's out. Because that's a good Christmas gift for people. And then we can go backtrack and talk about you know, the early days and what's going on now with yep. uh, all these homebrewers, too. Well, the first, thing I, the first thing I should say, and maybe the last thing later on, is relax. Don't worry. Have a homebrew, right? <laughs> yeah, right? I said it. They ring a bell. <laughs> um, yeah. You asked me how I got started or uh, about the yeah. book. Let's what? get a little background, and then you can tell us about the, the new edition. Yeah. Well, I started homebrewing in the 70s and uh, when I was a college student. Uh, after my University of Virginia days, I moved out to Boulder, Colorado, and people discovered that I knew how to make beer. You know, it was pretty simple beer, but it was, at the time, it was way better than what we thought we could buy. So we were making ales and stouts and porters, and those were considered pretty extreme beers in those days. Um, well, I was teaching classes, and I needed a syllabus. I needed some publication. I needed something. So I put together a mimeograph sheet, a six-page mimeograph sheet that later became a self-published book called A Joy of Homebrewing, a 76-page self-printed edition. Um, and then the big, big edition came – the first big edition came out in 1984, um, and that's when I put all my, my – Brewery visits and my home brewing, my at that time fourteen years of brewing experiences and uh, talking to brewers and having figured out how beer was made on a large scale, whether it was a microbrewery or a very large brewery or a brew pub in England or even visiting the Guinness Brewery. I remember going to the Guinness Brewery and I was floored because. The Guinness across the street in the pub was only 
10 days from when it began fermenting. And all the homebrew books at the time, to give you an idea, were had so much bad information in it that you would boil your black malt and grains you with boil uh, them. Yeah, uh, boil yum. them. <laughs> yum, yeah. And but the caveat was, well, you made stout and you had to age it for four, five, six months before really? it got smooth. And it did get smooth after a while. <laughs> but it had no, you know, there was no connect to reality of how good beer was being made. And so I put those dots together, connected all the dots. And then um, I did get a degree in nuclear engineering. And during my university days, I was, I, as I said, I was drinking homebrew and I became dyslexic and nuclear became unclear. And <laughs> I started a career in beer along the way. Um, and I was a teacher of children and a teacher of adults at, in the 70s. Uh, and my book came together to put all of this experience and information in a format that expressed the camaraderie and the enjoyment of beer and the fun of beer and the fundamental science and 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 established creative directions that people could go putting fruit in your beer and honey in your beer and in those days putting honey in your beer and fruit and beer was as extreme as the most extreme imperial double hop, triple hop, Belgian, upside down, sour fermented beer these days. I mean... Well, everything was fizzy awesome. yellow liquid back then, right? Exactly. What it was. exactly. We've also got... This is Andrew St. Thomas, one of the homebrew clubs, the Knights of Brooklyn. Yes. And uh, Alex Weiner from uh, a great homebrew shop, Brooklyn homebrew shop, so... Welcome to the show, guys. Thank Tim. you very yeah. much. Uh, in 84, when you published the book, like, what was the reception? Was was your publisher like, this is never going to fly? Or people were like, yeah, this yeah, is... Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Well, the contract was signed. I got an advance. I started in writing this. And it wasn't until a year later that I, I heard that they had a change in management and they wanted to axe the book. And there were a few champions there at Harper. At, uh, in those days, Avon, that wanted to continue. Through. So they almost were, were going to just bail, pay me my advance, and never publish the book. That's what I had heard. Wow. Um, so it did finally get published. They were so skeptical. They thought this was the craziest book that they ever invested in. I mean, jeez. <laughs> it would have been like not signing the Beatles. Like, you know, the craft room movement would just be not here if that book wasn't published. So the book came out, and it was seven ninety five. I think. 300-some-odd-page book, four or five times the size of any other existing homebrew book at the time. And all the other homebrewing books were selling for $1 to $2.5, maybe two ninety-five at the most. And there was a mindset among homebrew supply store owners that their homebrewers are never going to buy a homebrew book for seven ninety-five, So they pretty much refused to carry it. <laughs> And homebrewers home found my book and found out about homebrewing going through their bookstore. This is before Amazon. So yeah, way before Amazon <laughs> wasn't even that. in our lingo. And, uh, you know, 20,000, 30,000 copies were sold in the first half year or so. You know, uh, and, and all of a sudden these people were showing up at homebrew shops with recipes from my book. And they finally got it. <laughs> yeah. And they weren't boiling their grains anymore. It wasn't was. about being cheap, cheap, cheap. It was about people wanting to make good beer. 
Well, they wanted the knowledge, I would imagine, yeah. right? And yeah. the knowledge, oh, yeah. and 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 a way to understand the process. That in, uh, you know, when I when I wrote these two, both of my books, the Homebrewers Companion, which is an advanced, ed, you know, edition of the Joy of Homebrewing, essentially. Um, I wrote those books to kind of capture the fun and enjoyment, but also the fundamental science that is understandable, so that people, when when they get through my book, they might not know the details about the latest gadgets and the sophisticated brewing systems out there, but that's not the purpose of my book. My purpose is to establish your knowledge and your background, get you excited about relaxing and not worrying and making homebrew and having fun, getting a few good beers under your belt, literally and figuratively, <laughs> and uh, trying, trying new things. That's and, great, man. And Alex, what did you bring from Broken Homebrew yet? The first homebrew we're uh, drinking. So I, I made a, a party gile beer. Uh, so that's one mash, getting two beers. This is the smaller gile, so this is the small beer. It's a session IPA that's made with mm. American autonom hops and German uh, Mandarina Bavaria. Uh, both this session beer and then the, the IPA gile, I was basically trying to make beer orange juice. Mm-hmm. Nice. Well, Charlie, you, nice. you must have people... Giving you homebrews all the time. All the time. All the time. <laughs> <laughs> so what, what, how, how does somebody, I mean, we're on the show now, so we've kind of got you here for 45 minutes, but, you know, uh, what's, you know, what is it like for you? People come up to you and say, try, this is my homebrew, I want you to try it. How you many know. hearts do you break? <laughs> <laughs> I don't break any hearts. Um, you know, I, you know, sometimes I'm scared. <laughs> what's in the glass usually people are so excited about meeting me and want to share the homebrew and they want to share something special so most of the time this is really refreshing that it's a session beer oh, yeah. I'm, I'm into that um, but usually it's the, the you know these really super puckered sour two year aged barrel aged beers that are or a Belgian ale that's 9% the super duper and these are these are the special beers that we all make and these are the beer happens to be the beers that usually I encounter <laughs> from people. It's like going to a potluck, right? Yeah, yeah. you're not quite sure. And, yeah, well, but you, they're you they're all it. usually most of our these days they're all well made. Um, I had a great beer at five oh eight brew pub last night down in Soho area, and uh, it was a triple with coriander and honey, and boy, was it. It it was eight and a half percent, but it's tasted. I couldn't taste the alcohol. It's like it tasted as smooth as the <laughs> session beer, and it was super. I That's mean, dangerous. <laughs> John, are you are you working on a, a recipe with Charlie? Yeah, uh, for your shop bitter and We asked right? Charlie uh, if he would write a recipe first, and he wrote us a, a hoppy brown ale, which uh, is using. Uh, Mosaic and Nelson Sauvignon hops, I noticed in it. He I just did, gave it yep. to me. It's very exciting. Yeah. What was uh, what ex- inspired you to, to do that? Well, I was, you know, I was saying you wanted a uh, a special recipe, and I said, well, if I was going to brew a brown ale, what would I bring? What would I make next week? What would Charlie drink? And I would probably <laughs> uh, go in a direct. I wanted to go in a direction that I hadn't been before. A brown ale, dry hopped, late hop with hops that wouldn't typically be considered to be put into a brown ale. So Nelson Savan is from New, New Zealand, and it, it gives you a very passion fruit, fruity flavor or a wine, uh, uh, a wine, white wine flavor, and also the mosaic is a very fruity, 
fruity character as well. So you don't think about that, about using those cops in quote-unquote American brown ale. And and uh, the one time I – well, I've done it a few times, but I brewed a really traditional Irish stout with Australian galaxy hops. Wow. And dry hopped. With ga- and galaxy hops give an extraordinary mango aroma and flavor to a beer. And when you put that in with dark malts, chocolatey malts, you get something different than if you had used those hops in a pale ale or an IPA. You get something that the chocolate – and the mango combine, and you get another child. <laughs> it's, it's, a marriage, it's, a, it's a child from another marriage. You know? That's the beauty of homebrewing, <laughs> isn't it? It's, there's no, no beer that's, that's just one way. And, and I have a friend who, says, who never likes to drink dark beers. And, he's, and when I had that on tap, among my other beers, that was his favorite beer. The first time in his life he enjoyed dark beers. So you homebrew. You're home I brewing, still right? homebrew five That's gallons, awesome. five gallons at a time, and simple system. I don't, I don't have a three tiered, two thousand dollar machine or pumps. I don't use pumps. I love gravity. Um, keep it simple, easy to clean. That's great. Do you guys have a name for this beer, by the way, for the brown ale oh, that Charlie I don't know. did you name it? No. Oh, I did. Yeah, it's, I put it in uh, my backpack. So. I mean, you go with Charlie Brown. <laughs> I mean, oh, it's just too obvious. All right, Andrew, thanks. <laughs> well, then, but, that's what it so is. So the format, so at Bitter and Esther's, I know you have, you have classes and, and you're a homebrew shop, but tonight, are you going to brew the beer with Charlie? No, no, no. we're not. Tonight is our bottle swap, so uh, people are going to be bringing beer, and we actually told them, Charlie's not trying every beer. We don't want to kill Charlie <laughs> on our, his visit. So we're going to pick the four best. You to so try. this is the potluck we were talking this about. This is the potluck, yeah. So we're going to make sure you get the four best, and then you can pick the best one out of that, and they're going to get one of your books. So that's that should be love. Let's awesome. tell us about the book. So the holidays are coming. What what book did you reissue? Because I've got the the first issue yep, of uh, Homebrewer's Companion. The, the the complete show of homebrewing is in just came out fourth edition has just come out. The second edition you have in your hand there, the first edition of the Companion, which was written in nineteen ninety. Three ninety four, um, and that was in bad need of revisions. I've learned a lot about brewing in twenty years. Uh, I can assure you. So uh, between the two books, I I I had both of the books I was revising at the same time, and I shuffled information from one to another and updated uh, all the uh, technical information about hops and grains and added some more information about process and particularly in the in the homebrewer's companion, as a significant more. Information about the new age of hops we are in these days and how brewers are using them and how they are grown and how they are processed and how to get those flavors and aromas and beers. Things that brewers are doing now with hops that weren't even imagined 25 years ago, 20 years ago, even 10 years ago. It's just uh, it, it's a whole process. It's not only the brewers using the stuff, but the farmers having to grow it. And providing it and processing it in a way where you where you you maintain those characters. That's amazing. And, and just so you know, it's the holiday show. So go to goodbrewseal.com. We have a whole bunch of uh, every book that we've reviewed is on there. They're great holiday gifts. We have Amazon links. So definitely check out Charlie Papazian's reissued book on the Goodbrewseal site. There's some other great books. Tom Acatelli's Audacity Hops. Uh, Steve Hindy's Craft Beer Revolution that, that we've reviewed. So, again, for the holidays, check it out, goodbrazil.com. We're going to be back in a few minutes on Beer Sessions Radio. All right. So, you like good beer. 
Whether you're a craft beer pro or just had your first sip of an IPA, GreatBrewers.com is your number one beer resource on the internet. GreatBrewers.com bridges the gap between the world's great brewers and the consumers who enjoy their products. With so much information and misinformation out there, GreatBrewers.com focuses on education and leaves no stone unturned. Take the Great Beer Test on their website and browse through an extensive product catalog. Download their mobile beer cloud app, which includes a GPS beer finder, a beer sommelier, and descriptions for over 5,000 different brews. What are you waiting for? Back up that passion for craft beer with some solid information and education. Visit GreatBrewers.com today. Hey, 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 welcome back to Beer Sessions Radio on the Heritage Radio Network. We're out here at Roberta's in Bushwick, Brooklyn. And uh, we're giving big thanks to HeritageRadioNetwork.org this holidays. You can give gift memberships and check it out and donate and go to GoodBrisa.com and check out all the great beer books that we've interviewed here on Beer Sessions Radio. So we're doing a special holiday show. Trolley Papazin's flown in. He's got his new books, his old books being reissued <laughs> two or three times. But I've got the, I've got the Homebrewers Companion from 1994 in front of me. There's some great things in this book. There's this guy, um, Professor Michael Lewis, who wrote your original forward. Um, he he kind of sums up everything that you did. He said, he's just talking about the importance of education and, and homebrewing and all the work you did. Can, can you say something about him? Because I love looking at the forwards of books and seeing how that, yeah. what this guy had to say about you. Yeah, Professor Michael Lewis, U- University of California, Davis. He is a pioneer. He was teaching the big brewers how to brew, and also scale that had had classes and 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 degree courses for new brewers and small brewers and home brewers. He was very supportive of of the home brewing movement and uh, really welcomed quality information. And he's retired, but he's still very active. And the current professor, Charlie Banforth, at UC Davis, he wrote the forward for my fourth edition. Fourth edition. Of the of the complete joy of homebrewing, so I got both professors, legendary <laughs> guys that are just uh, expressed their well. That's going to be that's going to be in my in do. my Christmas stocking. I hope hope my wife's listening. But I'm um, so Charlie. You're talking about the change in the 20 years since the the first first books you wrote, the difference in hops and ingredients and mm-hmm. and just general expectations, right? Um, well, the expectation these days is that if you're going to make beer, you're you're not just want to make cheap beer. You want to make beer that's as good as you can buy. And back in the early days, there was a notion that uh, the home brewing was trying to make cheap beer. And a lot of those early homebrew books, particularly from England, were designed, and from some from Canada, were, were written with that in mind. And that's not – when I started teaching homebrew classes, I, we all knew that we were into the flavor, into the character uh, – you know, homebrewers are, I wouldn't call them, they're often characterized as being cheap, but I think they're just smart. They want to get, they want to get the, as much extract out of their frugal, <laughs> I think is the word. Frugal, frugal. <laughs> and buy smart, you know. Uh, Charlie, when you first um, started teaching classes, it was illegal, right? Homebrewing in uh, Yeah, of course. Was illegal? Yeah, 1978. Did I just was, out you? I'm sorry. No, 1979, <laughs> 78, and actually... Statue of limitations. Yeah, I, was te- I was teaching beer-making classes in Boulder during the days when it was illegal. I was featured in feature stories in newspapers. I was on television a lot, and it was, it was illegal. Awesome. Eventually, one of my beer classes, 
Um, I was I was warned by the the administration of the community free school that uh, they said, you know, I, we think that an ATF agent is going to take your class, <laughs> and sure enough, this guy anonymously took my class, but he wasn't too anonymous because. This is 1970s Boulder, Colorado, right? <laughs> he showed up. He was the only one in the class wearing slacks, a white shirt, and a black necktie. <laughs> <laughs> With a badge. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe. And he got into He took two classes, and he was stirred the, stirred the pot and tasted all the beer, and he was one of the gang, and then he left. And, I, you know, when he was there the first night, I, I, I made an effort to say, you know, it's, it's not really actually le- it's not legal, but... The ATF has better things to do than bust home brewing <laughs> home brewers, and just make it for your personal use. Don't sell it. I mean, and I got away with that, and uh, <laughs> he left us alone. I mean, I think if he did bust me, it would have popularized home brewing a lot more, right. <laughs> a lot quick, more quickly. Front page news. <laughs> Let's get everybody some. So, so uh, Alex, do you have a question for Charlie? Um, my main question, I, I guess, is um, I think a lot of home brewers these days are revitalizing very old either styles or ways of brewing like like decoction and party gile and uh you know the the bjcp is adding some very old styles in their new Mm -hmm. their new listings and um i'm just curious coming off the whole new hops and new things like how much how much of progress do you see being doing completely new things where people just rediscovering what's what was done a long time ago and is, has gone by the wayside with yeah after you've been brewing as long as i have it gets to a point where you know there's actually it doesn't sometimes it seems there's nothing new you know you always discover some historical context of what you think you just created for the first time and uh, on an earlier show here at Heritage Radio Network, I was talking about um, how I brew. I still brew five gallons at a time. And I, I instill this kind of spirit in my book, both of my books as well, is that you get the fundamentals of brewing, how to brew, how to use the equipment, what it's all about. And then you can – you should be inspired to try new things, you know, brew with local ingredients, uh, fruits, spices – things that people you've never heard of people using in beer um but also one of the things that i do as well as experimenting as i go back historically to beers that i remember 20 30 years ago really great beers like guinness stout the guinness stout today is not the guinness stout of 20 years ago it was all bottle condition and it was delicious and they used real roasted barley and they used real hops and they didn't use hop ex- they used hop extract now and I go back and recreate that flavor, and uh, pils- you know the original Pilsners, the original German style Hellas's that you go and if you travel Germany, they're they're they don't have as much character as they used to. But I remember tasting that character in the '80s, and my recipes in my book are specifically designed to recreate that older tradition that has been lost, but I think are being rediscovered by home brewers and craft brewers all over the world. Like, you know, people want to go back to some of the more characterful beers and the original way these styles were made. Great. Andrew, do you have a question? Uh, Sure, yeah. This is maybe a bit off topic. Um, What do you drink when you don't drink beer? What's your go-to? Do you get tired of beer? Do Do you switch to something else, or is it just homebrew all the time? Whoa. Well, I drink... Uh, fizzy water. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> I don't like soft drinks. I just, so you, you know, drink I, Coors Light? 
Busy water. Uh, no, no, no. I'm kidding. I'm kidding. <laughs> I know after really, uh, when I get really thirsty on a hot day, uh, sometimes I do drink that stuff. Just but It's not because I'm tasting it. It just feels good and cold yeah. and refreshing. Mm-hmm. Um, um, so with all this home brewing that you, you know, you're just hearing your name makes me thirsty. Um, <laughs> why have you never opened a brewery? It was, uh, you must have been approached to uh, actually do good this question, commercially. John. Yeah, it's very good. I get that question asked a lot. You know, have you ever st- thought about opening up your own brewery, Charlie? And I say, of course I have, you know, you know. But then I think about it, and I see what I've visited thousands of breweries all over the world. I love these these people who make it. It's a different kind of business. I really enjoy my world and the way I, I, I love education. I love writing. I like uh, my homebrew, and... Do I really want to get into another business of not only making a beer consistently and then trying to sell it and market it and regulate and and abiding by more regulations than I care to discuss? <laughs> um, it's and the but money. it's a challenge and it's 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 a different approach to the world of beer. And you might get bored. I love I love what I I love what I do so. Why do I want to change that? Good one. And Nazri, Nazri's got a great new blog, Lori's Craft. Uh, he's been covering some beer events. And he was born in 1992. He's the guy that yeah. said, I don't know who Charlie Papazian is. I was born after he did anything. That's when I started homebrewing. It was 1992, <laughs> just so you know. So, Nazri, so what's your question for Charlie? Well, my, con- my question is really to sort of that age issue is, you know, um, I'm ostensibly a child. Uh, a child can buy beer. But, you know, growing up, like even in college, we had a lot of stuff available. Oh. I don't really know how microphones work either. Um, we had a lot of stuff available that you know you guys didn't. You know, double IPAs and um, really strong stouts and oatmeal stouts and all these new styles that uh, used to be kind of rare. And so I guess my question for you would be: for people getting into it now, people my age, they're entering the scene and seeing this limitless potential. How would you orient yourself? How would you sort of? Think about these things. You can go down to your corner bodega and buy, you know, the triple Belgian IPA. Um, and you know, is that a good introduction to it, or how would you orient yourself in the craft beer scene now? I guess. Great, thanks, Nancy. Oh well, there's two questions there. I think you just asked. How do you orient yourself as a home brewer getting involved mm-hmm. in home brewing for the first time, and maybe how do you get involved with the craft beer scene as far as what you what you want to try for the first time if you never had craft beer. Um, Right. Uh, yeah, so, I mean, <laughs> just I think my question is really the whole the fact that there's so many so many less boundaries. Like before, it was kind of fun to make a porter because no one was selling porters, mm-hmm. and now you go down to the store and you buy a porter, and it's like oh, okay, because you you mentioned earlier you should only make a good a beer as good as what you can buy, um, and when you can buy so many good beers, how do you start? Where do you start? Um, you know. How do you push the boundaries almost when there are so few left, when there's so yeah. much open space? There's so many different kinds of people that get involved in homebrewing. They come from all walks of life, and their personalities really play into uh, you know, individualizing one's approach. You know, what I would, I would suggest is not you know, your first few batches. I mean, if you read my Complete Joy of Homebrewing, if you read the first 36 pages, that's all you'd have to read, and you could make your first batch of beer. Um, I would suggest some, some of, I wouldn't call them lighter styles of beer, but let's just say less extreme styles, mm-hmm. 
And if you really have the personality where you really want to be unique and really express yourself right off the bat, throw in some unusual. Talk to your home. Go to your homebrew supply store. Talk to them. I want to make a pale ale. I want to make a brown ale. Uh, but I want something different. And the recipe that I design for bitters and esters is just that. It's a simple, straightforward recipe, basically, the flavors. But there's an accent of fruit and aromas that aren't typical in a brown ale um, using unusual hops. So you can you can stamp your personality on even some of the you can, you can individualize even some of the more simpler beers. Get get those under your belt first. Yeah, that's a great way. How did you start, John? What were some of the first homebrews you made in 1992? I was out in California visiting a friend, and uh, we were at a beer festival. There was five beers. I was like, oh, my God, that's a lot. And uh, he said, you know, we can make this. I'm like, oh, yeah, sure. So we went and we got Charlie's book. I got the Complete Joy of Homebrewing second edition. And uh, there it was. But there was nowhere to buy stuff there were wine stores there was one guy who sold stuff out of a garage uh, and there was no internet so we it was just it was just you and me charlie and uh <laughs> and i think i made every every recipe in that book because th- that was it and they were they were great they came out really fantastic and it was it was at that point it was um hey this tastes like beer like you're actually doing this yeah you're not making a homebrew back then like prohibition you're actually making something that you'd want to buy right so homebrew is not a a pejorative term it's 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 really a good term yeah it used to be back when i first started it was a pejorative term but things have changed it was like what is this uh moonshine yeah it's like no it's my own beer no that's you know for you, homebrew is probably the best beer in the world. I mean, you've no, you've, <laughs> that's uh, what it is now. Well, actually, my first homebrew was a Bitter Nester. It's a John store for my 21st birthday. So I think, in a way, the cycle continues where <laughs> you inspired John and John inspired me, and I hope to be back soon. So it, it keeps going. I guess, you know, you just want to include more stuff. And I think you made a great point about people's characters really makes it stand out. That the craft beer community works really well because so many people are so passionate about it and are true to themselves and bring their passion to it. Yeah, it's, you know, whether you're a chef or a brewer or a food, you know, you're, in the, you're a farmer. I mean, everybody, they, the quality of what you do is getting your personality and your passion involved. That's great. So, Andrew, what's this beer you made? Uh, right Second now, beer. Yeah, right now we're, uh, funny enough, Alex talked about wanting to make a really orange, uh, orange juice beer. Uh, this is kind of my lemonade beer. This is a uh, lightly sour Berliner Weiss. Um, dry hopped with uh, Amarillo hops, um, triple decoction on this guy, um, kettle soured, and then dry hopped with um, uh, Amarillo, as I said. So it's got like really high effervescence, mm. lemony. Um, yeah, yeah like, lemony. Yeah. yeah. So that was the idea. It's like it's a little out of season, but it's kind of like a good summer beer, 3.2%. Um, it's, you know, sessionable. Refreshing. And, yeah. well, this is a nice. Closer. This is a nice cross section. New York City, like kind of homebrew guys. Because you're John. You're you're more like Charlie. You're more of an educator. I'm more of an educator and a homebrewer. And but Andrew, you have some professional ambitions. Uh, yeah, I've been um, talking with various people to start a, a brewery in town here, um, possibly in Brooklyn, possibly in Long Island City, um, and I also have some uh, ambitions to start distilling as well. So, which distilling is a natural. 
you know, the next step of brewing. So just to keep myself interested. So. Right. And then, Alex, you work at Brooklyn Homebrew. Yeah. Right now, what, do you, what are your ambitions? I mean, you're doing a great job at Homebrew, working at a homebrew shop. Um, I, I teach a lot of the classes at Brooklyn Homebrew, and, and that's probably one of the highlights of my job is teaching the classes. I love introducing people to, to good beer, craft beer, homebrew. Um, one day, I, I would like to do my open my own brewery, but uh, this stage of my life right now, I'm actually making kids more than I am making beer. So. <laughs> <laughs> I know that feeling. <laughs> well, that's a little cross-section, Charlie. I don't know. What do you think of the New York City uh, craft beer scene? You know, when when was the first time I came to New York City? I think there's a picture of me, one of those early newsletters, New York City Homebrewers Guild, 19. Mid 1980s, 89. Oh, I saw that picture. Yeah. Like, yeah. Garrett Oliver was Garrett still a home brewer. Yeah. Like, yeah. It was, it, so it's, you know, I remember God, people were really passionate then. They're passionate now. And I get that question asked, you know, what's the transition from back in the 70s or things like, what was the first Great American Beer Festival like in 1982 when I started the Great American Beer Festival? And there were 700 people, and now there's more breweries than there were people at the beer festival, uh, first beer festival. Um, it, and it was on a smaller scale, but the passion and the excitement of what was happening was the same. I mean, it was when you, when you have good beer and there's discovery as part of the process, and good things happen, and people get psyched, and you get – it's kind of like – People get attracted like a magnet. They want to be involved maybe as a beer drinker and start discovering this whole world they didn't know about or become a home brewer. Yeah. And you think that beer beer's part of a healthy lifestyle cuz I drink beer every day. You look good, man. I have beer every day. Um, yeah, I you know, I I intend to have beer till I depart. And you can't I, anymore. And uh you know, maybe there'll be their beer up there wherever I end up. Uh, but uh, you know, I know some old timers that uh, they still drink beer a glass a day, and, and then some people who you know, you, if you overdo it, you're kind of cutting out, cutting your 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 end game off as far as being able to enjoy beer. So moderation is a real key to uh, enjoying it for a long time. That's a good, my father always said that too. My father had to drink every day too. So <laughs> I think I think that's important. I, I, I like to have this public conversation because you know there's there's been so many issues about drinking and health, and and I'm finally seeing like even in New York State, uh, people that work for the governor are coming out and saying you know, you know, beer, cider, wine, spirits, craft you know craft beverages made made in state or made locally are an important part of not only the, the economy but but people's lifestyle. And we did recently look at some of the, the, the post-prohibition laws in New York State. And it was crazy. I mean, basically, there was this understanding that everyone in the business was in the mob or, or had been breaking rules and prohibition. Mm-hmm. So now their job was, you're legal, but you have to be controlled. And I think now, how many generations later, people are actually realizing, and only just now, I think, the laws are changing. Like, now, what, 50 states allow homebrewing? Yes. So it's only just, what is this, how many years since prohibition are we finally coming to terms with changing language to accept that this is a, a natural part of, of our life, you know? Exactly. And, you know, the, you talked about the governor of New York and, and all the great things, that, the attitude that government has here in New York State. And it's, you know, the politics of beer is is uh, jobs, 
the jobs that are created in the beer world of craft beer. It's also think you know some another significant shift that's happened is that people's attitude about beers that I think more people recognize that beer it can be enjoyed responsibly. Well, back in the seventies and eighties, you couldn't get a reporter or talk beer on a radio show or or even show beer on a television show. People would just stay clear because it had such a negative, bad image. And it's come that a long is way. A long way. And All I think right. craft beer and craft and home brewers have have been fundamentally the reason why that shift. Thank you, Charlie. <laughs> <laughs> well this is great. We got Charlie Papazin, the godfather of craft beer in America, on our show. It's our holiday special. We'll be back in a few minutes on Beer Sessions Radio. Hey, 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 welcome back to Beer Sessions Radio on the Heritage Radio Network. It's our special holiday edition, December 2014. We've got the godfather of craft beer, Charlie Papazian. His new book's out. Check it out. It's, it's one of the new editions of Homebrewer's Companion, The Complete Joy of Homebrewing. Check it out on Amazon. Go to Good Brew Seal. He's got some great new editions out. And Charlie, so happy to have you on. So we're talking a little bit about regulation and how things have evolved. You know, New York State recently, even the State Liquor Authority changed its charter, the language on the charter, to basically recognize that you know, craft beer and spirits and cider and wine is an important part of the economy and of our, and of our lifestyle and culture. Exactly. And things yeah. have changed a lot in 20 years, right? Yep. And, you know, we're talking about the politics of, of beer. And uh, politics is such that, you know, job growth is an important issue. And craft brewers and, you know, the fundamentally home brewers for the, from, from home brewing, craft brewers emerged and have created hundreds of thousands of jobs. And... The also the attitude towards alcohol has changed dramatically since the seventies. I couldn't when I was started the American Home Brewers Association in nineteen seventy eight. Um, we were at zero members, and we were at forty three thousand members now. Um, but back in those days, you talked to a re- reporters, radio stations, television programs didn't want to have anything to do with beer. I mean, I beer. What do you want to talk about beer? Six pack, and you watch the watch the watch the game. That's <laughs> about it. That's about as the only connection any news story that's the only news story that we that they could think of so it was really a long haul to get people to believe that you could actually enjoy beer responsibly and there was flavor and diversity and culture and camaraderie and now the american homebrewers association actually helps with legislation i mean they they were yes. pretty much responsible for getting homebrewing legal in all 50 states, right? Yep. And you started that. Yeah, I started that in 1978, and uh, that's when homebrewing was illegal. It okay. wasn't legalized until 1979. I started it coincidentally when it became legal. I was going to start it 
come hell or high anyway. water. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but yeah, we the, the laws changed one by one because the way laws work, alcohol laws work in this country is the federal law is one thing, but every state has the right to regulate alcohol the way they want it. And one by one, uh, the the states legalized home brewing. It wasn't until Last year, Last year. Tw- 2013, that Alabama and Mississippi were the last two states to legalize home brewing. You know, Can you believe that? I met a, I met a homebrew shop owner from Alabama at NHC uh, in Philly, and I said, wow, you know, congratulations. How long have you been in business? He was like, 25 years. I said, you've been <laughs> illegally doing this all this time? He was like, yeah, I don't care. But it, was, it was hilarious. I was like, just like you. Like, yeah. yeah, it's illegal, but we did it. It's like so. It's, it's actually a generational shift, isn't it? It's kind of like the new generation. Like Nazarene's, you know, early twenties for him came of age drinking great craft beer. Yeah, and, you know, there was there was an issue with home the home brewing interest in home brewing slowing down in the late nineties. And for those of you who can recall, the late nineties was boom time. It was everybody could get a job and microbrews were starting to ha- you know were established and you could buy beer. You could, you know, so a lot of the home brewers were were working more, didn't have time to brew, but they had the money, so they would buy. And also, the there was an attitude, a generational attitude that you know didn't really reach out to the younger generation, the next generation of home brewers. And so, home brewing slowed down in the early part of this century. But we realized that, and everybody realized that. It's more fun when you get a diversity, not only with the beer that you drink, but the diversity of people. And young homebrewers were, were just as welcome as old-timers. And everybody had a story. Everybody had great beer. And it didn't matter whether you were blue or red or gray or white or independent. or what. It, it, people got along together with good beer. And, and that's what kept – that's what has – Brought home brewing and the American Home Brewers Association is as strong as ever. Our our conference um, next year will be in San Diego. We expect close to five thousand, six thousand people. So cool. How is so the offshoot of what you've done? You know, with like the Craft Brewers Association and GF. So the more commercial side is like things like Craft Brewers Conference, which which I went to last year and I thought was great. How would you compare the America Homebrewers Conference to something like the Craft Brewers Conference? Well, the, the Craft Brewers Conference has five or six or seven different tracks. Business, finance, marketing, technical brewing, beer and food, uh, you name it. There's, you know, it's the business of craft beer, government affairs, uh, homebrewing. It's all about fun. There's a lot of a lot of professional craft brewers that every once in a while go back to their roots and love to come to the home brewers conference because it's about fun. It's about beer, 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 and it's about your home brew and what people are doing, and the new 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 products that are out there, new ideas. And I'll tell you, club night there is one of the most the the funnest things in the world, uh, where there's usually. 50 to 70 homebrew clubs and they're on display and they're there they have barrels of their beers and they're pouring and they're they're it's it's a great time it's community right it's when, you know, community. when's the next one charlie the next american homebrewers conference it's in san diego first first i think it's about the second weekend of june 
second so week of June. Next year. Yeah. And have you guys, but John, have you been to that, Andrew? Yeah. yeah. Oh, yeah. I've been to when it was in Philly, yeah. Are you, did you go to the one in... Um, I was in Philly, yeah. Or did you go to... Where, I did not go it? to Michigan this year. Michigan? You yeah. Did yeah. you go what, to Michigan? What did you, Andrew, what, what did you note about, about the conference? Well, I've been to both the Craft Brewers Conference and the Home Brewers Conference, and yeah, as Charlie said, I mean, the, the CBC is very professional and I mean there's still still beer that's being had but it doesn't have that same camaraderie I mean talk about um, club night I mean there's 50 50 homebrew clubs each pouring 12 beers one is different from the next you're getting are they from all over the country all over the country country. all over the country Uh, and I think probably some international ones we get people in from Canada Um, and it's nuts I mean like you just there's it's death by a thousand sips, as my friend says, you know, because you just can't try it all, and everything is more exciting than the next. Um, one of the cool things about homebrewing, you're right, is that like you can experiment all the time. Yeah. You don't have to dedicate yourself to making the same pale ale every day. It could be a great pale ale, but you can make a pale ale. I've made your pale ale with um, your rosemary pale ale, and that's fantastic. Yeah. I mean, it's just like a crazy beer that you know a professional brewery probably wouldn't put out. But if you're making five gallons. Homebrewers are on the cutting edge. There was one beer I remember at the Seattle mm. conference a few years ago, and it was a great beer. It was a, a smoked beer made with apples. And, but instead of using smoked malt, they barbecued, they smoked the apples, apples and put the apples nice. in the beer. Yeah, that's and fantastic. it was fantastic. Right. right, And you can never scale that up on a professional level. <laughs> you know, that's what makes it so cool. It's like, here's a one-off, you know, at the, at the homebrew conference here. We, this is from this barrel that we had. It's been sitting for two years. Yeah, try it. You know, uh, the experimentation is just, is, is one of the best parts you know, of the highlights be, of the show. Yeah. It's going to be June of 2015. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. You know that every one in every 200 uh, adult Americans is a home brewer. There's 1.25 million home brewers. In this we're country. trying to make more of them. Yes. <laughs> There's <laughs> never me, enough. Me and Alex. We're the in New York City. Be we're place. trying to make more of them. We're making sure of that. Pretty much a sold out class every month yeah. for, for beginners. Uh, People love every it. every time ten to twelve people sold out every 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 month. I call it giving birth to homebrewers. <laughs> Charlie, since this is a um, holiday show, you have done so much. You've done the American Homebrew Station, the great uh, the Great American Beer Festival, uh, Zymer G Magazine, all this stuff. But you also started National Pie Day, didn't you? P I E, not not the number, but P- yes, I did. And what what is up with that? <laughs> <laughs> I did start it, and it was a. It was kind of a little quirky thing I did when I was teaching kindergarten and first, second graders. Um, I said to them, well, today is National Pie Day. It was my birthday. (laughs) (laughs) And I said, tell all your moms that it's National Pie Day is Charlie, your teacher's birthday, and bring in a pie for Charlie. <laughs> <laughs> and it worked. Oh, and wow. And that's how Special it started. And then I entered it into a publication in those days, which was the, what, the publication that media used for, for nas- national days of interest. It was Chase's calendar of, of events. I submitted that as National Pie Day, and then things got rolling, and then people in Boulder established a National Pie Council, and then... It got taken over by the pie industry. Big pie. And now, <laughs> you know, we joked about the Crisco Bake Off, but that's what it is. It's the Crisco Pie National Pie wow. Championship in Florida every January 23rd on my birthday. It's still on so, your birthday. Yeah. That's great. Do you make pie? Yeah, when's, when's your book of uh, pie I, recipes coming out? I, I do make pie. Do you make pie with beer? I, yeah, of course I drink beer when I'm well, that, that, yeah. <laughs> Maybe like you know, kidney sautéed and that triple that triple I had last night at five oh eight. I was thinking this beer would go great with a blueberry pie, nice. <laughs> peach pie. 
But uh, yeah. Well, cheers to Charlie, man. It is a Charlie. Yeah. And a Merry Christmas because it's almost Christmas time by the time you hear yeah, this. Make some pie. And, and yeah. if the holiday is here, there's a holiday cheer recipe in my Complete Joy Home Brewing, which is one of the most four most popular recipes. One is Rocky Raccoon's Honey Lager, uh, Toad Spit Stout. Um, the holiday cheer is a beer that's made with uh, some nutmeg and cinnamon. It's kind of an amber beer, and it's one of the more popular recipes that people make. Charlie, what do you think about Christmas beers in general? Like Now there's so many great breweries making Christmas beers, but I feel like they're stronger, and there's a trend to drink the Christmas beers in July, which I think makes sense. So I feel like when you get those beers at Christmas time, they're so strong, and uh, I feel like they need time to mellow. Well, you know, Brewing is an interesting approach because an IPA, a strong. Remember when IP hoppy beers, they were t- you aged them, but now brewers want you to drink hoppy beers fresh. When the brewery releases them, you need to drink them because that's the way they designed it to to taste. Um, so you make holiday beers, strong holiday beers. If I were a brewer, I'd be make if it was something that needed a little time in the tanks. Um, I'd make it in August or July and keep it. But once it's in the bottle, and you, as a craft, as a professional brewer, once it's in the bottle, people drink it. You're not, you're not going to tell them to, to, to stash it because they might stash it in their 80 degree closet, or they might stash it in their basement, or they might put it in the trunk of their car, or put it in the light on the shelf, and it's not going to be the same. So the brewer wants you to taste it right after they bottle. That's the freshest. Well, that's a good point. Go, going back, just back to your book, The Homebrewer's Companion, which is the one I'm reading, uh, your early tastes of beer were, were Old Ballantines. And I know some, <laughs> brewers, some brewers are trying to recreate what the yeah. Old Ballantine was. What was the Old Ballantine now? Um, I can't. I just what, what my Uncle Paul used to drink, the uh, Old Ballantine Ale. But the Ballantine IPA is probably more legendary. Um, and that beer, as I recall, in it was just been reissued. And I talked to the brewers. It's 7.2% alcohol. I said, wow, did you ramp up the alcohol? I said, well, that's the original recipe. The original recipe was it was a 7.2% beer. Um, but it, it didn't have the hop character that in 1982 at the Great American Beer Festival, they brought it, and it had loads of Cascade hops in it. Of course, Cascade hops was just being introduced in those days. Um, and it was a really terrific beer uh had a lot of hop aroma and hop flavor character the one that's out now is 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 a good a good shot it's probably more accurately what was brewed in the 1950s you know uh mitch Steele from uh, stone made a beer with smutty nose it was called clusters last stand and it was his homage to the ballantine ipa mm-hmm. and it kind of tastes like a stone 7.2 percent ipa i don't know did any of you try that mm-hmm but that, so, what did you think of that? That's kind of cool, right? That people, that professional brewers as well as home brewers can go back and look at mm-hmm. historical beer. Yeah, I think it's really great seeing these new styles being regenerated from the homebrew community. I think that's where it sprouts from, and then kind of you know spills over to the professionals. You, you know, Gozas are are taking off right now, and, and styles of beer, like Lichtenheiners, and you know these all Keller these beers, Keller beers. Yeah, you know, beers that weren't really. Popular, but I think home brewers were the ones that kind of popular popularized them. Um, I know you know the Ballantine Ale you're talking about is probably one of the first beers I ever had, but that's not the IPA. The Ballant in the green bottle, yeah, yeah and, exactly. Uh, that was where I learned what skunk smelled like. Yeah, it was from that beer because it was that beer was always skunked. 
Oh, and I had one the other day, actually, that wasn't skunked. I was like, ah, oh, let me try this. And it went down. It was all right. You know, I figured, let me try it again. Well, I, like remember, two bucks. I remember the aroma because I grew up not too far from New York City. I grew up in New Jersey, and I come to the New York, State, New York Yankee Stadium. Cool. I, I, watched, I watched Mickey Mantle, Maris. I, that was my time. Nice. Um, but I remember the smell of... Ballantine ale is all over the stands. It was, you know, <laughs> drank and spilled, and it was all over the place. But that was Rheingold and Schaefer and right. Ballantine. Schmitz, Schlitz. Yeah. Yeah, those are the days. <laughs> Good times in beer, man. Uh, who wants to wrap it up? So, John, what are you going to have going on for the new year at Bitter and Esther's? At Bitter and Esther's, uh, more of what we do, events and uh, brew on premises. And uh, we're going to have a lot more new classes uh, coming out. Uh, hopefully, we'll have some more some more guests like Charlie coming in. We're just going to keep a, teaching people. It's a great place, man. I give homage to Bitter and Esther's, and it was the place that made me realize I would never make beer. I taught <laughs> Jimmy not to make beer. He made a great class, all the cleaning, and I was like, this is why I don't make beer. Yeah. That's why I love it. Yeah. And Andrew, anything, the Knights of Brooklyn. Yeah, Knights of Brooklyn. 2015? Uh, yeah, we will have our first competition, our first homebrew competition in February. Uh, for, for more information, visit our Facebook page, Knights of Brooklyn. Um, this year, in 2015, we will be having thematic... Uh, competition, so there'll be a certain uh, ingredient that you want to use in your homebrew, and then you'll judge on that rather than having a wide selection of beers. That's great. And Alex at Brooklyn Homebrew Shop? Uh, well, we, uh, hopefully a lot of people know, we moved into a much larger space over the summer, so now we have dedicated class space, so a lot more classes, a lot uh, more space in all of those classes. Uh, they're doing very well. Great, make, uh, make great Christmas presents. The Brooklyn Homebrew Shop. Yeah, that's great. We should, uh, we should have a softball team. Like, we should play <laughs> softball against the... the, the we want Charlie to come. Yeah. Yeah. What, what position would you play? A position I would play... Um, Home plate. All right. <laughs> <laughs> the actual plate. Well, I, I would suggest the holiday season, give the gift that keeps on giving. And whether you buy it for yourself or for a friend, you'll get many happy returns. So, your book, so tell us yeah. again, what, the, the latest book that's out. The Complete Joy of Homebrewing. Fourth pers- edition. Fourth edition. If you're a beginner, read the first 36 pages and you'll never regret it. You'll never look back. And if you really get into beer, go on to the Homebrewer's Companion and you will be... It's creative as the most creative and most skilled craft brewer this out is, there. This has been a, a great pleasure having you, Charlie. And also on the New York City uh, event front, end of February is uh, New York City Craft Brew Week is back. And New York City Beer Week is back. And our great event, New York City Brewer's Choice, uh, this year uh, all the 30 brewers, some from New York and some from beyond, will be making beers all with uh, local New York grains and malts. And if I could get you all to say in unison, relax. relax. Don't Don't worry. Have a homebrew. All right, and Merry Christmas to everybody. So thanks so much for joining us. Thanks to our sponsors, greatbrewers.com, have helped to bring this podcast to you tonight. Thanks to Charlie, John, Andrew, Alex, Nazari, and everyone else for joining me here on the Heritage Radio Network. I'm Jimmy Carboni. Thanks to our producers, Maggie Seiden and Justin Kennedy, and our engineer, Jack Inslee. Thanks for listening. Merry Christmas, and we'll see you next time on Beer Sessions Radio. All right. All right. listening to this program on heritageradionetwork.org. You can find all of our archive programs on our website or as podcasts in the iTunes store by searching Heritage Radio Network. You can like us on Facebook and follow us on Twitter at heritage underscore radio. You can email us questions anytime at info at heritageradionetwork.org. Heritage Radio Network is a 501c3 nonprofit. To donate and become a member, visit our website today. Thanks for listening.